and welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Brand, a practicing couples therapist in Berkeley, California. For this season of the podcast, we are looking at how does a couples therapist learn to do that? How does one go about gaining the skills and the knowledge necessary to work with the most challenging issues that come up between couples? Challenges such as money, mess, health, sex, kids, in-laws, and all the other things that come up when humans try to face life as a team of two. To become an effective couples therapist, I found that you really need additional training, and a great deal of my training has been through the PACT Institute. PACT stands for Psychobiological Approach to Couples Therapy, and my guest today is Hans Stahlschmidt, a longtime consultant of mine and a PACT core faculty member. As per usual, while there is clinical material discussed in this episode, it is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Please do not use it as a substitute for professional help. If anything, this is here to encourage you to get curious about therapy and the therapy process and make use of the resources that are out there. This interview is my consultation with Hans Stahlschmidt about the couple clinical interview that I did with Bart and Susan. So this is only going to make sense if you go back and listen to that episode first. This episode is more geared towards the couple's therapist who has a kind of basic understanding of pack therapy and couple theory. The coming episodes, which will be consultation interviews also, are geared more towards a wider audience. Those episodes will look at Bart and Susan through the lenses of attachment wounds and how to keep couples therapy focused on the couple rather than seeing either partner as the identified patient. This episode that you're about to hear with Hans is about the art and science of how to conceptualize a couple, laying the groundwork for an even and real-time playing field for the couple process to emerge and getting out of the way to allow the couple process to unfold. What I love about working with Hans is that you can throw any complicated couple challenge at him, and he will not only give you a way of thinking about what's going on for the couple, but also a practical way you might address the issue when you see the couple next in your office. I hope this episode also gives you a taste of what an actual consultation meeting is like between therapists. I hope you enjoy listening to Hans as much as I enjoy talking to him. And without any further ado, here is the consultation interview. Hello and welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. I am really glad to introduce my one of my great mentors and colleagues, Hans Stahlschmidt, to the show. Welcome to the show, Hans. Great to be here with you, Jason, and I want to compliment you back. You are a wonderful colleague, and of course, I learned from you. One way that we often talk about couples um, in the beginning, you know, when we introduce a couple, is, is that you often will ask us, how are you constructing this couple? And I wonder if we could just start with that question of, you know, what do you mean when you say constructing a couple? And so the couple often comes in with a major error that they are constructing the issues, the problem in, of course, in through their own lens, what we call impact a one person psychology. And from their perspective, it makes sense. But putting them together in a two-person psychology system in a relationship, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't account for the other player. Mm -hmm. So this is often one of our major reframes, reconstruction we do. So yes, you are right and you are right. It makes sense in your world, but put these two worlds together, there are errors in there. And so helping them to really move in a deep two-person psychology in a deep caretaking system, that they're creating something special together that needs uh, more skills, needs a different concept, needs different agreements. I, I'm really excited to talk about Bart and Susan, who I interviewed and you had a chance to review 
their, you know, the clinical interview that I did with them. Let's play around with sort of some ideas about how to how do we construct this couple? We can look at them from, as you well know, what is so exciting, I think, about PACT and now our more contemporary therapeutic approaches. We have so many tools, we have so many lenses, we have so many paradigms, concepts that we can look through and uh, see the couple. So one, as you know, our approach, we pay a lot of uh, emphasis to the attachment styles, attachment patterns, arousal, uh, how they are made up, uh, so to say neurobiologically, are there any deficits, uh, is there any trauma? And of course, we look at their background, family of origin patterns. We look at former relationships. We look at where is the pain? Uh, that is often a very interesting question. Not so much what are your problems or issue. We can ask where is the pain for you in this relationship? Because mm -hmm. then we're also going directly to the uh, embodied and the emotional aspects of this relationship. So there are so many ways to look at this. For your couple, the two of them, Bart and Susan, so there are in a more earlier developmental stage of a relationship. So they know each other for two and a half years. So they've dated, they have made a commitment that they would get married. So they're engaged. Mm -hmm. And now they are in this phase where they're hitting more kind of deeper layers of each other's personality. So they come now more into play. The more we move deeper, the more we become family, the more then sort of the younger or older structures are also activated. And in our approach, the activation and projection and all of this is not something that we would eliminate that is some kind of white noise that should be turned off. It is actually important because that gives also these two partners a chance to work through, rework in some way their past. And in this process also do a lot of repair to things that actually have happened already decades ago, maybe. The very fact that we're gonna get stuck that in some way the relationship fails is the very foundation that we can rebuild with them and they can rebuild a foundation that is real, that is true, and fits much more the growth of their real selves. I like that frame. And, and also the frame of, of their, you know, that this is early in the relationship and that they're hitting, they're becoming closer family. Even as you say that, I'm thinking about the session and I'm thinking about how that frame around it yeah. at the outset probably would have created more of a, of a sense of containment. Because one thing that I really struggled with was I felt very protective of Bart. I wanted to not put the pressure on Bart to just come forward. I wanted to somehow figure out another way to go about doing that. Did you sense me doing that? Did you? Was that something yeah. that you saw? Yeah, I, I think uh, you obviously did very well that you didn't get in any way seduced in dealing with the presenting problem, right? About the income, uh, whatever his debt from his business and so forth, mm -hmm. uh, because that is a slippery slope towards, uh, you know, becoming a fixer. This was very good that you uh, just focus on their interaction. It's interesting when you just saying route, you felt a bit protective of art. Mm -hmm. And that could be a bit of an explanation. What I saw in your processing with them, that it seemed almost that Bart was the one 
who was not so capable. Mm-hmm. So that Susan was the one who was more capable, right? So she has the income and so forth. But uh, the, the term I think that came up several times was inadequate. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a tricky thing how to do this, to attend to certain growth parts or weaknesses, deficit. And at the same time, then, of course, not to construct a patient as being fragile or weak. But uh-huh. as you well know, what we're often doing, we are assuming they can do it. We construct mm-hmm. the patient as capable. And so in that way, also Bart, Bart can do it. And he think, I think he showed it several times, the way he was with Susan, especially that part when she opened up very movingly about, I would call it probably trauma mm-hmm. uh, of her family. She said it was very difficult she was the cannery in the coal mine mm-hmm. and nobody talked about it. Horrible things happened and everybody pretended nothing happened, right? Mm-hmm. So you could see that this was uh, probably various or over time traumatic experiences and especially important, she was alone. Mm-hmm. And I think Bart did very well about being there and attending to her and being mm-hmm. present even you know, with his inclination of withdrawing and dissociating and pulling back. So I think that was an interesting for me, an interesting point and process that they both showed capable and connected. I want to pause here and play the clip that Hans is referring to where Bart attends to and is present for Susan because it's such an important moment in the arc of the session. And I share that I can feel sort of my, my stuff, which I had long before Bart, a feeling just on my own in the world, I think that very directly hits your place of feeling inadequate. He's agreeing with that. Wait, but two things are mashed together here. One is this this image of you at night, sort of, you know, with the, feeling very anxious. Um, and, and I could really see as you, as you play it back, um, how that would elicit feelings of inadequacy in Bart that, um, but then there's the other part that's there, which is that this was something that you felt long before, Bart. This is something you know about yourself. And I wonder if that, does how would that trigger the feeling of inadequacy in him? Um, well, I do think that's relevant. And I've owned that from the beginning of our relationship. Totally relevant, totally relevant. But I, but I guess we're talking specifically about his feeling of overwhelm and, and the sitting, you know, that you're sitting on a trigger and it sounds like, I, I mean, I'm trying, I, the thing I'm trying to understand is the, it's certainly, I got that sit, that one of the triggers that you were sitting on was explaining your st- state of distress and him being unaware that that's happening. That certainly makes sense. I don't know if a trigger is his, is when you talk about your past experience, that part, I don't, that, that I'm still confused about. Does that, is that, a trigger or not. Do you want to talk on that part? I don't feel like that is. Um, as she's talking about it, and I'm, I'm actually really feeling a lot of compassion and understanding towards that. I do think that I probably lose sight of that, though, in some other, when there's maybe something on top of that or, or brought up and I, I understand now, as she, well, as she explains it, how it, uh, they're connected and how that's a deep down, it's like her deep down trigger or, you know, root. And 
things that are she's feeling towards the relationship or us is it's tapping down into that root, but it's not necessarily the it's not the the thing that's on the surface. It's it's something between us, you know, and 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 kind of just stirring that. I would say it's the same with the inadequacy. Mine's very rooted as well. I don't feel that when you're sitting here talking about it, I feel more compassion and just you know general sadness, you know in that situation and understanding i have some relation relate i can relate actually to some of that too you know but i wasn't the canary i was more like you know the person that tried to keep the calm and just stay stay the course when we're talking about it in a more our relationship terms is when it gets more triggering so as you heard bart talks about the compassion and sense of understanding he feels for susan when she describes her experience of being left alone to process overwhelming feeling as a child you might be able to hear more vitality in his voice and thoughts seem better organized. As Hans says, there is an opening here. In hindsight, I should have let this moment marinate for a while. Instead, I got ahead of things. Internally, I was busy trying to organize a bunch of jumbled ideas and ambitions for the session. In the actual session, when I was talking to Bart and Susan, I ended up returning to what it was like for Bart when he feels incapable of supporting Susan and an important moment slipped away. Let's pick it back up with Hans, who's going to describe a bunch of good ways that I could have kept the focus on a moment like the one that I just played for you, or brought it back to present moment attentiveness between Bart and Susan. So one way you could have done, or we can do it, would be you can level the playing fields by mm-hmm. playing it's clear for the, these two people, they have competence, right? They're, they're, they have mm-hmm. achievements. But of course, for most of us, the difficulty is around when we are hitting this uh, pair bonding, this relationship, right? This mm-hmm. is where our difficulty show up, right? From early on. And I think that's a couple like this. They are very good in many things, but they're not so good in, in this process about doing these uh, relationship together in this deep way. That they're both showing there is in these terms inadequacy. And one way would be, yes, Susan, Bart admits to certain inadequacies, but uh, Susan, I think you also have things that you are learning and you're not good at. And we could call it in your terms inadequacies. Mm-hmm. So that would have leveled a bit the playing field. And in this way, you would also have helped Bart to come up a bit mm-hmm. because there was a bit of that theme that seemed to become a bit lopsided that it was his inadequacies that were mm-hmm. the problem in his relationship. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. we all know, it's uh, not so simple, right? It is clearly pretty much 50 50. Uh-huh. So so this would be one way that actually uh, one could help one partner who is more in this way, the identified patient, the problem by saying yes, and look to the other side, you in a relationship, you have also growth to do. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So this it is does. one way. So his self can be supported. So his self can come forward uh-huh. because they both, I think, looking, Jason, if we look through uh, the attachment lens, they're both an insecures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it looks to me 
Uh, Bart is more on the island side. Uh, Susan is more wavish, but also has some island in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And I would say from the short opening that she gave about her family, I think there are some traumatic events that maybe, so to say, as we say in the jargon, sometimes create a disorganized pocket that mm-hmm. when these things come up, as she said, when he gets angry, she uh, uh, gets unraveled. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That there's something happening. Yeah. That makes sense to you being with them. It does. It does. And she even says that she even said this thing. Well, first of all, she said in the in the initial interview, she said that he presented when they first met as as very secure. Yeah. Um, which I think sometimes with islands that that you know that you don't you don't know what lies underneath for a while, um, which makes sense. And then she said this thing about you know that she that basically she said I'm kind of wavish, but there, I guess I have some island pockets too. And mm-hmm. I and I had a question about that about because all of a sudden our conceptualization of like islands and waves, right? And it, it all of a sudden gets like in my mind, I thought, well, how do you talk about somebody who's wavish, but also has these island places where they go and hide out? Yeah. So let's say, let's take Susan. I think there would be an opening when she talked about her family of origin, when she talked about her family, that it was very difficult when she was the cannery in a coal mine, nobody talked about it. So with this, what I heard was aloneness. There was nobody there. Mm-hmm. He was alone. So this would then strengthen our assumption that there is an islandish feature in her protective system that she had to learn as a child. Mm-hmm. She was alone. There was nobody, no parent, nobody there, no adult that processed that took care of it it was not dealt with and she was alone. So this would be an indicator that there's also an islandish avoidance structure in her. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? So it does, yeah. And that would be an opening that, so to say, then the evidence is in here, Susan, right? I'm not in any way put labels on you. We're just exploring so to understand you, but Mm -hmm. it looks like here, Susan, there were quite some important periods in your life when you were younger, when you were all alone and you had to do this all alone. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this would be an opening. Yeah, very nice. I want to go back a second because, you know, as as you're saying, we talked about leveling the playing field and that not to follow, not to, you know, necessarily get into the, become the sort of judge and jury on, on you know, the financial stuff. But at the same time, for this couple, um, this was in my mind as I was interviewing them, they're a year in and there's a sort of, you know, there's a coming forward that we might, I don't know if we'd call it a betrayal, but it's, it has that feel of like, uh-oh, I, this information about your business on more of a tightrope than I knew, it, cha- it really changes how I see you and how I think mm-hmm. about you. Yeah. And so, yeah, I want to level the playing field and I want to help, but at the same time, as the as the couples therapist, I, I don't want to give a pass or or not look at the the serious, like you know, that something serious wasn't accountable or wasn't said early on. And, you know, and how does she know that another shoe's not going to drop? How does she know that she got all the information? How does she trust that she that he's really um, working in the ways that he's saying he's working? Like, how do you how do you hold feet to the fire is not quite the right word for this couple, but but something in that range of how do you say, okay, yeah, but 
you're right. This, this part of it has to be looked at and talked about. Yeah. So what comes in there for me is that we as a therapist, that we don't become over-involved in this way, that suddenly we write this topic on our flag that we have to carry this forward. In this way, we could state that this seems to be very important. And what does it mean for you in all of this? But it's really up to the couple to develop what it means. If this is a betrayal, is this is a trust that it's broken? Is it something uh, of a shock? In this way, we have to be careful that we're not leading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that this is not our job to lead them. We're setting up a process that they can then talk to each other and come forward with all kinds of emotions and thoughts that are maybe not acceptable. They're recreating this kind of atmosphere. And then we see what develops. And what I saw with Susan, it was a sense of safety, right? That was connected, starting with the debt. And of course, as we know from an island, right? From Bart's side, we know there's probably no island that really exists that doesn't have a certain kind of secret or keep certain things for themselves because that's what they learned. That's what they had hundreds of experiences that it was dangerous to come forward with what they really think and feel. Mm. So they have this built in. And then in this relationship, in this collision with her, with his partner, he then sees that this is not serving him well anymore and not serving her that it creates more problem than it itself. So this is a whole process that has to unfold. Mm. Uh, and then we're guiding this and we're giving them the ability to have experiences around that. And so we don't have to lead this, right? So uh, that's what I feel. But generally with you, it's sometimes you worked a bit hard. Mm-hmm. And often that's the case when we just um, leading a bit too much, right? We think, oh, we have to create a process or we do this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's often just good to sit back and saying, okay, we, we see what unfolds. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? So it's this thing that we do as therapists, we create certain processes or we facilitate them. We make it possible that there's a process happening that feels real and, and authentic. It's real work, not acting out. But then we kind of sit back uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and let them do it and see where they get into difficulties and then redirecting them, maybe explaining something or giving interventions but this is their process, right? How yeah. do they build trust? Yeah. They both have ample evidence probably from their own childhood and their life that it's not easy to trust people. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think that it's just, um, you know, one-sided. I think for both of them, mm-hmm. it's a process of trust building and trust building can only happen when there was a transgression, when there was a lie or whatever you want to call it right then you repair it and Mm -hmm. then repair trust is the real trust not the one that's there from beginning a relationship that's not tested Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so that's one way to look at this process of course from susan's perspective she has ample reasons to really explore this and of course, from his side, he has also ample reasons, you know, to be cautious with her. Mm-hmm. And especially in this phase, you know, we can also sometimes call it 
is this a red flag phase is now that you are engaged and this is really serious what you're doing here are there any trepidations anything coming up that's a red flag that you don't want to commit your life to be on the side of this person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that sort of i mean i think that for you know i've been sort of sitting here as you're talking thinking why is it not good enough for me that they just that the tr- trust and being in the process of learning to trust each other in this you know really delicate time in their relationship that one thing that begins to happen and I'm sure I'm not alone in this for for couples therapists is the alternative to not learning to do that feels so dire like you know I mean you just said like this might could be the red flag territory I so want the couple not to not to go to the red flag place, but stay in a two-person system where they're, where this is unfolding. And I think that it's it's very easy then to get in front of it from that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you say, I want, uh, for me, that's not enough. It's an interesting statement, right? Mm-hmm. That you say that if something, what I just said, that seems not enough, you want more, you want more to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, you know, we always have to look. Of course, we have thoughts about them and ideas and concepts and uh, hypotheses. But then uh, when we're uh, maybe wanting it too much, then there is a bit of a danger that we're blinded in this moment uh-huh. about what we think should happen and what is really happening. So yeah. we always have to be, so to say, aware of this. We always have to have that, that function going in us, right? So mm-hmm. I see this happening and uh, let's see if this is true. Let me see if I can find out. Let me see if I can set something up, a question to probe this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a, there's a big example of that in this session that I really want to ask you about, which is I get very invested towards the, towards the end in Bart expressing to Susan his appreciation for her push. Mm-hmm. right that she's pushing him and yes. and i really i really i was like a dog with a bone i mean i went after bart to get him to express what i thought i, I which i saw there as true which was that you know that that he sees susan as really helping him and mm-hmm. and that it's happening as fast as it possibly can in his mind. And but but I I really wanted that idea that he appreciates her for pushing him Why? to to be there. Why, why did and you, then what is your well, thinking behind what what is your thinking, Jason, behind that that is so important? That is so I really wanted him to appreciate this that she is pushing him. I was hoping that it would alleviate some pressure on the system because Susan says. You know, I go into myself and I get in these knots about at night, I'm crying at night. I have to confront him, but I don't, you know, I don't want him to get angry at me, but I need to know in order to feel safe and secure. And I was really making sort of this pitch to them that it's better for her to, to push, that, that it's good for her to push because it's helping Bart. Mm-hmm. Because it's Bart is very appreciative of it, that he... That you know that yeah he might get angry and yeah he might feel inadequate but underneath that is a, is deep appreciation for uh-huh. 
for her. It's it's a formulation, but the, the thing was that that I mean, I thought I you know I mean honestly, I thought like I got this. Like I mean, it was it was a great example of like you know don't fall too much in love with your darlings because I I fell in love with this idea and I thought okay well this is going to let the session end in in a way that's going to look really good and that that's going to sound yeah. really good and and I'm also worried about the outcome because this is the podcast and all that so that that's all in there. However, Susan says, Susan was not having it. So of course it's so complex. So one aspect that for me comes in. So if uh, this hypothesis, which I think is pretty much proven that he's an island is true. Mm -hmm. So islands have a huge issue with pressure and demand. So now when you're saying, I want her, so to say, to push him, right? To pressure him. We have to look at this, what this means. He is under pressure all his life. And so now there is the issue that could rear its head, that she becomes the person that pushes him, that is the demand. Mm -hmm. And then he can externalize this process that he has actually in him. So imagine that Bart would be in paradise on heaven, whatever, and everything would be well. He would still feel a lot of pressure inside. Mm -hmm. I see. And so he has the issue because he has internalized something parental about demand, performing, pressure, uh, restricting, and all of this. And so there's this internal conflict about the real self, the, the young boy or whatever who wants to do this and couldn't do it. And now he has internalized this uh, relational issue between parent and child because it wasn't safe enough to express with his parent. Now it's internalized. And now we have to watch that he will not be able to externalize it fully again without any knowledge and uh, reflection that he has it inside. We don't want him to now put the parental part on Susan, that she helps him, she's the helper, she's his mom and all of this. And then mm -hmm. he can be the child because what will happen next, he will go against it. Yep. Rebel. Yep. So then you set something up we have a parent who has certain expectation demands, and then we have a rebellious child that gives the finger or gets angry when pushed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that would be the risk when you, so to say, establish her. Uh, I think it's good for him to push. So that that would be for me the risk. So uh -huh. uh, that this it's good for her to push. You mean it's that it's good for her to push? Yes, it's good for her to push. But I think I would probably reframe it a little bit differently, right? Uh -huh. For her, it's it's more about breaking through the aloneness, the loneliness, and risking to come forward with what is happening in her, her thoughts, feelings, you know, any body sensations that she feels she can be open to bring it into the relationship without that very strong fear that she expressed that he will get angry. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. a quite a fear base in her about his expressions of anger. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so that would be more, it is good for her that she is risking a little bit and then learns in this process to also set boundaries. You know, one of these interesting little metaphors, I'm always looking for these key sentences or metaphors. Mm -hmm. One was obviously with the boxes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So he has so many boxes, right? Compartmentalized all of this. That's his defensive system. And then she says, I have no boxes, right? I'm open. Mm -hmm. So we can probably assume from what she said about her childhood 
this openness is not that she's all open for relationships and uh, wonderful, right? This openness that she feels is also defensive. Mm -hmm. That has also yeah. defensive part, right? That was her way to survive. Mm -hmm. It appeared like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we also know from the short stories she told about her childhood, if she would have been so open, she would be damaged badly. And she mm -hmm. didn't, right? So we mm -hmm. know that uh, the construction, he's hidden, he has boxes, he's defended, and she's open. That construction is faulty. There is no such human being that wouldn't have a protective system. Mm -hmm. We have skin, we need protection. And we're establishing this, and that there is nobody. And maybe she couldn't do it openly. She had to be the vulnerable one or the open one. And so she created this, uh, maybe for her parents, whatever that fantasy, you know, that our little girl is so open, so mm -hmm. innocent. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it cannot be, nobody can survive without protection. Uh -huh. Everybody has to do it, including her. Yeah. This is a necessity. That's what we have to do. It's, on our, it's our job. Uh -huh. And of uh -huh. course, we hope that we have enough protection on the outside for the parents that we don't have to create this horrific primitive, very inflexible uh, protections on the inside. Got it, right? got it. But from her, we know now there was nobody there. So now we can assume she had to create a strong protective system on her inside. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. looks different. It has different flavors, different colors, a different fabric. Uh-huh. There. Yeah, yeah. Like, so then, okay, so you've got this construction. What do you have to do with it now? I mean, now that you've, now that you've constructed this, what is, what is, what's, What's our, I guess, our job, our responsibility as couples therapists? You know, really, I think our main task is obviously, you know, to uh, create a certain safety and have compassion and all of this. But what we're really doing is we're trying to facilitate a process for them in the session that they can experience each other. We're trying to, we, we have to create an experiential process. Mm -hmm. That's our task. And then we watch. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? And then we have all kinds of, of course, tools to get in. But I think this is this is basically it. And I see what you also saw, you know, when you look at the trajectory of your session with them, the session was first more on uh, in the past, right? They were recounting past experiences. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's often what happens. But then we have to create a process that can be sometimes very simple that it's right now here mm -hmm. because otherwise you, you have no impact. Right. And so that took a little bit that then, then, and you redirected them a few times, you know, what is happening with him, what's happening with her, with her face and so forth. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that process they were talking about was happening all the time in the session right now. Mm -hmm. They just didn't refer to it. They referred back to the past. Uh-huh. So uh -huh. this is what we have to do right now. What is happening now is, are you mistrusting? Is he open? Is she there? Whatever. Uh -huh. Right. And then we have an uh, impact and can go there. Uh -huh. The past, we cannot get there. Why is that enough? Why, why, what's, what's healing about that? Or what is, what about that makes for a, a good outcome in, in couples therapy? I mean, what we know, what the research shows, it seems that a change is possible when there is a whole body, a whole body experience. That means mm -hmm. it has to be somatically grounded. It has to be in the body. People have to be present. 
They cannot flee and dissociate. It has to be emotional. There has to be a warming. There has to be something in there that is at stake, that they're engaged, that uh, something is hurting, whatever. And of course, later towards more end of sessions, we also want to do an integrative part that whatever happened can be integrated and put in its place and put in a narrative that makes sense to them. Uh, so that's what I think we know about research that other approaches that let's say just they're more cognitive or whatever, that they are, don't last as much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's mm -hmm. not how we build, right? We're built really from the bottom up uh, uh -huh. when you look at this, right? So I like this image where basically we're an elephant, uh, a big elephant, and our prefrontal cortex is just a, a small rider on top of the elephant. Mm -hmm. And no rider will, will turn the elephant around, mm -hmm. right? Right. The, the rider serves the elephant. Mm -hmm. The prefrontal cortex developed over uh, many, many, you know, uh, millions of years almost, right? Developed in the service of the body. Mm, I like that. It's I like the that. organism that's protected, the organism to survive, right? To uh -huh. our DNA to next generation. So the prefrontal cortex, our immense brain is in the service of this. Uh -huh. The body is not in the service of the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. But you're also saying that this isn't just all experience. This isn't scream therapy. This is, there is a, there is an integrative part to this yes. that, that, that needs to happen as well. Yes, it is, it is. It has to be embodied. It has to be present. There has to be somebody there, an adult, right? We're not going for acting out. Mm -hmm. And as you well know, this would be very detrimental if you would do this with trauma, just re-experiencing trauma. We have to set up things so it can be reprocessed. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of a reprocessing of certain experiences, emotion that couldn't be processed correctly. Mm. And so we're doing this in a session. Yeah. Uh, these mm -hmm. couple, and of course, what we're doing that that we're not too much in there, not for in the forefront, right? We're we're helping the couple that they do it with each other. Mm -hmm. So there is an empowering process in this, right? Mm. Uh, an empowering and a skill building process that they both share, then, you know, and then they, they can take this with them mm -hmm. and build their foundation. So -hmm. that's how I see this, right? It's a whole body thing. And if we leave any, any uh, major parts out, it, it will not last as well and will not be uh, really, will not be substantial that it can be part of their foundation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Great. Great. Right. Do you have, do you have any, were there any other notes that you had for me or anything yeah, have, else that you really thought no. you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting, right? So I'm always uh, looking, I don't know what you do. There are certain things that sometimes, you know, get my attention. They stick out. For example, I'm following these things. Uh, so Bart said at one time, I'm going inside. I'm hard on myself mm -hmm. and I lose sight of you or I lose sight of her, right? So this is a very important, I think, for example, sequence that you can go into and get a lot of mileage out, right? Mm. So what he's saying, he's going inside, right? He's alone. And then what is he doing alone? He's hard on himself. Mm. So you know, there's a nasty dialogue going on. Somebody's beating him down. Mm -hmm. Nobody's there. So now we know somebody should be there with him. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I lose sight of her, right? Then, of course, in this process, he's not relational anymore. He's all alone in his own bubble, right? And so this whole process can, 
for example, can can be explored with them and with each other in each other's eyes and face, right? So I look at this. So this is an or he says, anger is my final defense. Interesting statement, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't have to do much. You can just say, so Bart, you just said, anger is my final defense. And then you can cross it. So Susan, how's that for you? Anger mm -hmm. is my final, is his final defense, right? And then you see what happens. So phrases like those, I mean, you're, it sounds to me like you're looking for a kind of narrative that describes the defensive system. Part of it, just we're looking, I'm looking for something that seems to have meaning. There is juice in there. There is something in there. There's something at stake, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're looking. And then see when we follow this, where will it lead us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. These are kind of sometimes more spontaneous expressions. For example, for example, she talked about it makes me very, um, it's, it's very, very difficult for me when we cannot talk. And then she says, actually, I get high anxiety. No, actually, I panic, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a key word, I think, when somebody's panicking. So now you can see what, what is it, right? You can go into this. So certain statements. Or she said, I can unravel quickly when Bart expresses anger, right? Mm -hmm. So I unravel quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting. So these are sometimes things that, that I follow. And uh, sometimes you don't have to do too much about them. You just repeat them. You reframe them a little bit and you explore and then uh, you watch them, of course, and see if, if they get traction, if there's an emotional response in it. Mm, great. So this, these are, um, you know, certain things that have come up for me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Great. So I, I, I think, very helpful. like I said, so what I saw, you obviously got there, right? The, the director of the session, uh, I think, was good. It took a little bit. And mm -hmm. this, of course, is your, you know, I would almost call it your second session, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you come to know the couple, right? Of course, you probe, you do things. And I was impressed that you have uh, already, it felt like you had a very good therapeutic alliance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. going with you there in this kind of uh, semi-public space and trusting you. That is pretty good, right? This yeah. is quite amazing. And I yeah. think it has to do that you come across very sincere. Mm. You come across mm -hmm. very sincere and all of this. Mm -hmm. So also, you know, kudos to you about being so courageous. And mm, thank that's you. how I know about you. You're very courageous about thank you. showing these things. So I think the one thing, again, what I would see with you about learning, I see you sometimes you're a bit ahead of the couple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you're doing a bit of work and then you're trying to conceptualize the next move uh, where I think, oh, just just explore the move you just did. Right, right. Just let it sit and then, um, you know, just explore it. You don't have to be so smart to come up with a new move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just let it, yeah. let it simmer, yeah. let it see where it goes and then, you know, stoke it a little bit or probe it. I mean, I think that this is a really good example, this case of, of a therapeutic alliance and how much room and flexibility you have when you have a therapeutic alliance to kind of play in, in it. And they were, I really 
thought they were just great in that way. And um, I think it's also a good example of a, of a, of a session where I kind of ran out of moves there. I, I, and I, I don't know how much it was apparent or not, but I felt like I got very invested in this, in this idea. Susan doesn't take it. And, and if you listen, at least, you know, just, you know, this is, this is my beating myself up, but, but if, if you listen, you'll hear me at a certain point go, you know, uh oh, I don't know if this whole project is worth it. I don't know <laughs> what have I gotten myself into. And I sort of, and there's a, there's a, that, there, there's a good example of what happens when you get too far ahead of things and then you run out of moves. But then the nice thing about this also was that the move that I had, which is the podcast, which is that I said, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're in this together because I'm, I'm really, I, I told you at the beginning, this is a training video. And so let's re let's, let's look at together what we did. And that was a great learning moment for me where all of a sudden I said, you know what, I can just, I don't, I can be more honest with people and just kind of, you know, show my cards a little bit more and see where it lands. And I don't have to feel so damn responsible. So that, that, that was some ideas that I had about, Wonderful. about the, yeah, I think they're great. You know, I, I think it's great that you had this, right. And yeah, just in this moment, when we feel this pressure, of course, it makes sense because you're, you know, you're in a podcast, it's going to be uh, heard. And so it's of course there, uh, but this is exactly the moment, right. Of kind of resetting and not trying to be smarter. This is resetting and just looking at what is. Mm-hmm. Right? And not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Just Great. looking, what is? Where are they? How do they look? Uh-huh. And 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 really don't uh, you know give in to this pressure. Oh, now I have to come up with another move. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this seems like a good segue to take us out of here, Hans, which is, I mean, one thing I love about working with you is that you always have, have a move. And I think that that move is often just sort of (laughs) reminding, reminding just to kind of be in it and be in the moment. So, so I just, I appreciate that. And, and I just, this was great. This was super fun talking to you. So thank you. And thanks again for having me. And really, really, I appreciate your courage and your openness to bring this, you know, in the open. Thanks, Hans. All right. Looking forward to working well with you. Bye. All right. So there you have it. The consultant interview with Hans Stahlschmidt. And our next episode is going to actually be a second couple clinical interview with Bart and Susan that was recorded about six months later. Then from there, we're going to hop into some more clinical interviews with my PAC colleagues. First up is going to be Melissa Ferrari, and we talk about attachment. And then I meet with Debbie Campbell, and we're going to talk about developmental neurobiology and pacing and couples therapy, all as they relate to the Bart and Susan interviews. So I appreciate you being here. If you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me and see you in a couple weeks.